Hey everyone, before we get started, I just want to take a quick second to ask you for a big favor. If you're enjoying the show, please go to wherever you get your podcasts, hit subscribe, and leave a rating or review. It'll really help new listeners find the show, and you'll be rewarded by getting every new episode automatically since you hit subscribe. See that? Everybody wins. Thank you very much, and now enjoy the show. I make a lot of lists, for a lot of reasons. Some lists are things I want to do around the studio, like finding a better way to organize the microphones. Other lists are random ideas I think could be podcast episodes, or just lists of chores like invoicing clients or shopping for groceries. I've always made lists, because if I don't, I feel this deep-seated sensation that I'll forget something important or miss an opportunity, or worse, that my whole life will become so disorganized, it'll simply unravel, and I'll never be able to spool it back up again. And so back in February, I found myself making some new kinds of lists, lists I've never had to make before because I was about to do something totally new. I was preparing to record a band at someone else's studio, not at the orchard, my home base. Don't get me wrong, I've spent plenty of time in other studios, but mostly as a musician. I've never had to record a band captaining someone else's ship. But when friends of mine in a band called The Paranoid Style asked me to record them at a studio down in Virginia, of course I said yes and immediately went into list-making overload. I made a list of questions to email the studio before I got there. I made a list of questions to ask when I arrived. I had lists of gear to bring in case I wanted certain sounds, or just in case I needed a contingency plan if for whatever reason we couldn't get the studio running, but still had to keep the session going. Plus, we had an ambitious schedule. So I had lists of gear I'd need in case we ran out of studio time and had to record at the house we were staying at. Oh, and before I forget, that studio we're going to, it's kind of famous. In the HBO show Sonic Highways, where the Foo Fighters recorded at eight different studios, Dave Grohl described this studio like this. One local Virginia studio produced the entire soundtrack of my youth. It's called Inner Ear Studio in Arlington, Virginia, best known for capturing the sound of Washington, D.C.'s influential punk scene throughout the 80s and 90s including the Bad Brains, Fugazi, Minor Threat, and other great bands. So here I am, making my lists, sending them all down to Don Zantara, Inner Ear's owner and engineer, who recorded all those bands, and I'm asking him to send me his lists, like inventories of microphones and guitar amplifiers, to either quell or fuel my list mania. And his response? There's too many to list, which I took as a pretty complete list. And a few weeks later, with a car full of equipment, I was motoring down I-95 en route to Inner Ear to record the Paranoid Style and see if my thorough preparation would pay off. And it wasn't until I was almost there, crossing the Maryland border, when it dawned on me. Am I the only engineer who travels to a famous recording studio with half their own studio in the back of their car? How do other engineers prepare? And how does Don prepare to hand over the keys to this historic studio to a bunch of strangers? Yeah, I... Try to give people a sniff test. <laughs> a sniff test? I just think that, you know, most musicians are quite trustworthy. And, you know, usually if you, uh, if you trust people, they will do the right thing. After our session, I called Don to ask because I was just so curious. And I kind of couldn't believe how different our approaches were. I went bananas for weeks thinking through every possible combination of scenario and the gear I'd need to prepare for it. And Don simply gives people a sniff test before, you know, letting them run loose in the recording studio that produced the entire soundtrack to Dave Grohl's youth. 
He trusts total strangers to do the right thing. And seemingly, they do. I have small, small gripes. Or do they? As far as like handing the keys over, like people don't wrap the cords the right way. But, you know, that is peanuts. (laughs) He's not wrong, considering what could happen. But still, I hardly trusted myself to not break anything in there, let alone trust anyone else. So where does Dunn's trust come from? I don't know, maybe it's something in the water or something. But I've, uh, I've had extremely good luck with people just being very respectful, especially, you know, musicians. For some reason or other, it just it works out pretty well. It's a really memorable experience. He's not wrong there either. It was certainly a highlight of my career so far. And I didn't wind up using 90% of what I brought because the studio is really well equipped. But I feel like if I didn't have my trusted tools by my side, I might have been anxious the entire time. It just would have felt like I was walking a tightrope without a net. But I don't know if anything can prepare you for working at an unfamiliar studio for the first time. Especially if you want everything to run smoothly in the eyes of your client, like you've been working there for years. In fact, in that same episode of Sonic Highways, Butch Vig, who was recording the Foo Fighters at Inner Ear, and who has a pretty impressive resume having recorded Nirvana's Nevermind, Smashing Pumpkin's Siamese Dream, and many others, had this to say about the experience. It's a challenge to go into a different studio every week and bang out a song, especially when you haven't been in there before. Everybody kind of has to rise to the occasion, adapt to the sound of the room, what they're hearing coming back from the speakers. Yeah, but do they bring half their own studio with them? Yeah, when um, different producers come in, if they're like, if they've got a big budget and they're with a, a big name, they will inevitably bring in monitor speakers and some of their favorite compressors, maybe you know one or two and maybe a few mics that they just can't live without. It was a relief to hear that I'm not the only engineer that feels a little unsure when walking into a new studio and may bring a few comforts of home. But what about Don? Does he ever record anywhere else? And if he does, how does he prepare? Does he approach it with the same casual, optimistic attitude on par with his sniff test? Nah, yeah, just sort of jump in. (laughs) I mean, it's all just, uh, you've got... You know, the recording, what you're recording onto, you've got somehow the mic pre's, you know, wherever they are, and you just plug things in, and you get a monitor system. Yeah, it turns out he does. And I have to admit, I thought it was really interesting that Don's approach would be just to jump in, knowing firsthand how unique the setup is at Inner Ear. Is your place set up the way you like it, or did you set it up so that it would be easy to rent out to other people? I set it up the way I like it, definitely. Definitely. It's, it, it is not the easiest studio to run. I figured that out. Certainly that board is not the easiest board to get familiar with. <laughs> figured that out too. Basically, you know, if people do want to work in there, they have to sort of go along with my foibles and habits and all that stuff. Luckily, there was a shelf in the control room that was full of manuals and diagrams that Probably would have come in handy, but anytime I needed to thumb through one, it was a little late in the game. The band was waiting, the clock was ticking, and we just needed to keep moving. It felt at points like I was trying to put together an Ikea coffee table while people were waiting to put their drinks down. I can imagine anyone working at the orchard for the first time would have the exact same experience. Every studio has its idiosyncrasies, and any quirks that inner ear may have certainly don't stop people from wanting to work there. 
I'd jump at the chance to work there again, and not only because it's a blast, but because it provides Don with a pretty important service. Would you rather work in there, or would, are you happy to rent it out? Oh, I would rather have both. I have uh, engineers that basically they're, they're independent contractors, and they, they rent it out the same way. And without that happening, I, you know, I, I wouldn't have any days off. So it really fills in a lot of gaps here and there. And it's, you know, having a studio, you know, I'm not telling you anything new. You have to really balance working, but also having some time to clean up, to do maintenance on the equipment, to make sure everything is in order, to check out things that, you know, maybe like mic stands that are broken or things like that. You know, there's lots of little things that just need to be attended to. So I try to strike a pretty good balance in there. Maybe that's why he's so chill about handing over the keys. Because while we're making our lists and loading our gear into the studio, he's about to put his feet up. But what it really seems to boil down to for Don, in terms of his method of preparation, after almost 40 years of recording timeless and influential music, is really just two things. Trust is involved. Bad insurance. That's it for today's show. A very big thank you to Don Zantara at Inner Ear, whose recordings certainly helped me calibrate my ears when I was a young engineer. To learn more about The Orchard, please visit orchardrecordingstudio.com, where there's also a link to the podcast page. Please follow the studio on Instagram at Orchard Recording, and you can contact the show at podcast at orchardrecordingstudio.com with any feedback, thoughts, or suggestions. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.